It's all right. How many of you ready for the word this morning? I, um, I probably took a, a little too much time in our, in our prayer time. I don't know if that is even possible, but uh, you are a part of a church that we do lean into the Holy Spirit and we, we have an order to our service. We have a plan, but we also say we yield to God's plan. And so I just really felt like we were supposed to take some time to just pray on this last day of prayer and fasting. And I hope that God touched some of you and you really sense his presence in a deeper way, doing something, a deep work in you, and God's bringing some breakthrough in your life. I've been, I've been praying that from you, even while we were in Israel. Um, such an amazing time, but I'm ready to dive back in. I've, I've got, uh, I got a lot of word in me. I feel like a stuffed turkey on Thanksgiving. Big old fat butterball with the thing popping out. And, um, <laughs> and so I've got way more stuff for you than I have time, but uh, this word this morning, I think, is, is probably one of the most important words that I can, I can bring to you. It has guided my, my life and my wife's life and our family, and it has never let me down. And um, we're going to take a look at a passage of scripture. As I was seeking, we're in, in this message series called First Things First. And the last time I had the privilege and honor to speak to you, I talked to you about seek first the kingdom of God. And I think oftentimes the way we approach the new year really sets the tone for how that year, kind of like the start of your day. You know, sometimes you could wake up on the wrong side of the bed, the coffee maker isn't working, uh, you ran out of a filter to make coffee, whatever. You know, you get a text message from somebody, it just kind of starts your day off the wrong way and you, you get a little grumpy and it just kind of sits on you the rest of the day. I think the same principle can be true spiritually that when we start out the new year purposely, intentionally seeking God and pursuing Him and seeking Him first, and we make His, our pursuit of Him, our first priority, there's a promise attached to that in the Word of God. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And I think oftentimes most of our problems come because we get our priorities wrong in life. We're trying to fix all these different things, change all these different things, pursue all these different things. And God is saying, listen, if you would just seek me first in my kingdom, all these things you're worried about and trying to figure out and trying to change in your life, I would, I would give you them. I'd give you the right order. So there's this spiritual principle. When we put the right things first, all the other things seem to fall into their rightful place. And so today I want to kind of continue along that theme. As I was studying about first things in the Bible, in fact, a lot of uh, theologians believe that there's this principle when reading scripture of first mentions, first mentions, first mentions, that when the very first time something is mentioned in scripture carries more weight. And actually psychologists kind of back up this with our memories, like the very first memory that we have about something often sticks with us the strongest. And that could be good, positive, or negative. We'll talk about that at a later time. But I started studying first things in the Bible and mentions of, of first things. And I came across this story in 1 Kings chapter 22 that really just hit me. And immediately in my spirit, I said, I knew, I know I need to bring this word to my church. Because for many of us, we start out the new year and we're looking for change. We're looking 
maybe for purpose we look back at our life and for a lot of us we have regrets about decisions and choices that we've made whether they're recent or they're in the past and those bad choices poor choices oftentimes hold on to us have a way of kind of digging their claws into our soul and not letting go and for many of us we, we get plagued with guilt and regret today i want to help us kind of shake that off and and i want to glean from scripture and from the spirit of the lord this morning on how we can live life moving forward without regrets but knowing that we're actually walking in the will and the purpose of god for our lives you understand that your life isn't just random you're not here by circumstance that actually if you believe scripture that i want to remind you of ephesians 2 10 that you're god's masterpiece you're his workmanship created in christ jesus for the good things that he planned for you long ago if you believe that scripture you got to believe you're not here by accident you're not an accident your life hasn't been an accident and even the, the good the bad and the ugly god can redeem it when we yield ourselves and our will to him and seek him first and start to allow him to direct and order our steps of our life and so it's on that theme that i want to read you this scripture this morning and admittedly my wife was like man do you do you need to read that long it takes a little bit of time I got 25 scriptures verses for you is that okay I actually think that you know oftentimes for the sake of trying to shorten things we 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 take a few scriptures we give you a little bit of word I think we need more of the word of God I, I think it's okay if you don't mind that I read 25 verses this morning to you by the way, my wife did too. She just, <laughs> she's looking at me, you just threw me under the bus. That's gonna be a conversation later. <laughs> uh, love you, babe. First Kings 22. For three years, there was no war between Aram and Israel. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to see the king of Israel. Let me pause right there for just a hot second and set this up for you. So this is when Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom, Judah and Israel. And so there was two kings ruling all of Israel at this time, uh, King Ahab and king of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah. I'll pick it up verse three. Then the king of Israel said to his officials, don't you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us and yet we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram. So, Previously, there was a battle. Israel went to war and defeated uh, King Aram. And part of the agreement post-war in their peace treaty is that over time, King Aram would gradually give back some of the land to Israel. That was part of their deal. Now, um, now King Ahab is realizing, wait a minute, they never gave us back that portion of land and that's rightfully ours. So I want it back. So this is part of the story. So he asked Jehoshaphat, verse four, will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, and this is, uh, he says, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And here, verse five, if you have your Bibles or digitally, whatever, or just write this down, you need to highlight this, you need to like put it on a sticky note. This encapsulates my whole message right here in verse five. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. 
first seek the counsel of the Lord. Now, I wanna, I wanna briefly just read to you. I wrote down some other translations and how they translate that verse. The Message Bible says, but before you do anything, ask God for guidance. The NLT says, but first, let's find out what the Lord says. The NASB says, please inquire first for the word of the Lord. In verse six, so the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Go ahead, they answered, for the Lord will give it to the king into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, I love this, thank God for a godly king. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop the press. That answer was a little quick, it was a little, you know, like off the cuff. Jehoshaphat, he says this, he says, um, <laughs> but Jehoshaphat asked, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord on whom we can inquire of? Now, Jehoshaphat recognizes that these guys are, are the king's prophets. And actually, a lot of scholars believe that not all of them followed the Lord God of Israel, that some of them followed other gods, the gods of Ashereth and everything. And these gods have been, these uh, prophets have become conditioned to just tell the king what he wanted to hear. But Jehoshaphat recognizes this and he says, wait a minute, <laughs> stop the press. We need, is there anybody that will actually speak the word of the Lord and seek him? And so the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400, asked them, shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead? They answered, the Lord will give it. But Jehoshaphat said, there's no longer a prophet the Lord can inquire of. In verse eight, the king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat and said, there is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. <laughs> That's nice, right? I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. And, the king, and Jehoshaphat replies and said, the king should not say such a thing. So the king of Israel called one of the officials and said, bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, to, him, to us at once. Now, most people believe that Micaiah, this prophet that actually spoke the word of the Lord, but the king didn't like it because he didn't like what he had to say. He threw him in prison. And so he goes to pull him out of prison and to bring him. And... Um, they bring him at once, and it says, verse 10, dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. This was a common practice back in the day that when you wanted counsel, you would sit on thrones at the city gate and you would listen to what people had to say. And so they, here's the scene where they're sitting on their thrones. They've gathered these 400 prophets to hear what the council is, should they go to war? And in the middle of this, they asked those 400 prophets to prophesy. And it says, now Zedekiah son of Keniah had made iron horns and he declared, this is what the Lord says. With these, you will gore the Armenians until they are destroyed. So this is a really, you know, is a, ex I don't know the word I'm looking for. It's, it's an exorbitant you know, thing he's doing. He's putting these horns on and he's like, this is gonna prophetically show you what you're gonna do to the kingdom. And he's all you know, excited about this. And, and this, would, this would be a common practice. And it says uh, in verse 12, all the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious. They said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. 
And the messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, look, he kind of pulls him aside. He says, look, dude, the other prophets, without exception, they're predicting the success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can only tell him what the Lord tells me. And when he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or not? Attack and victorious, he answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. You can almost hear him saying that sarcastically, going along with all the other prophets. But the king knew better. He said, the king said to him, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And then Micaiah answered and said, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesied anything good about me, but only bad? And Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this, another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all the prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, son of Keniah, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he went for me to speak to you? He asked. In verse 25, Micaiah replied, you will find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room. You'll go to find out when you go to hide. You will find out when you go to hide in an inner room. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, we are so blessed to be a people that get to gather and worship you around your word. I thank you that your word is alive, it's active, and it's powerful. God, your word is going to change the lives of your people today. Father, I give you this time. I give you this service. I'm your mouthpiece. Holy Spirit, have your way. This is your church. It's your message. It's your service. Give your full permission to have your way. Pray that you would speak through me directly to the hearts of your people this morning. And God, I pray that we would not leave the same, but we would be changed by the power of your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, amen. The title of my message to you this morning is, is simple. First seek the counsel of the Lord. First seek the counsel of the Lord. Uh, neurologists have studied the human brain and the way we think and the way we make decisions. And, and what they've uh, concluded over the years is that the very first time that we have a decision or a choice to make, our brain kind of goes through the different choices and the different decisions that we could make and the ramifications of each one of those decisions until it, it picks a certain decision. Once it picks that decision and move forward, the brain, the next time it's faced with that same decision or choice, it automatically, by default, chooses that same decision or choice. And over time, it begins to create neural pathways in our brain. And actually, 
in the brilliance of our creator in God and how he made our brains, he actually created our brains so that there would be efficiencies. So things like brushing our teeth that we wouldn't actually have to think about and use a lot of brain power to think about how we brush our teeth or ride a bike or drive a car. That's great when you're brushing your teeth, riding a bike or driving your car. It's not so great when it comes to important life decisions. For many of us, before we knew Jesus, we made decisions based on our feelings, based on what the Bible would call our flesh. It's our own will, our own intellect, our own feelings. And for a lot of us, this became a habit. Over time, our brains just begin to make decisions subconsciously without us even thinking about it. And over time, those little decisions add up to big decisions which can change the course and direction of our lives. Until one day we can wake up and realize we don't like the way our life's turning out and we've made some poor decisions and we have some regrets and we need to change. And yet the way to change is stopping and just like King Ahab, who he, he, there was, he wanted, he believed that, that we were, he was supposed to, and Israel was supposed to take back this piece of land that was actually owed to them. And it seemed right to him. It was like, hey, we made an agreement. They owe us the land. They're not giving it to us. We actually beat them once in battle. We have the army to beat them again. So let's just go and let's get the land. And even though the word of the Lord came to him through this prophet, uh, warning him that actually he, shepherd, in, in that story, he says that the shepherd would be striked and, and all the, uh, the sheep would be scattered. He was actually prophesying what would happen to King Ahab. In the story, if you follow it a little bit further, what happens is King Ahab, they go to war. He doesn't listen to the counsel of the word of the Lord. They go to war against the will of God, but again, for his will, and they get defeated. And even how they get defeated is, is remarkable. He, um, Ahab comes up with this, this brilliant idea that he's going to take Jehoshaphat and put him in, in the king's armor and put him in the king's chariot. And this way, if they come to attack uh, King Ahab, uh, they'll actually attack and kill Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat at one point has to run for his life. And it says in Chronicles that he cried out to the Lord and the Lord actually spared him because he was a godly man and he wanted to follow the word of the Lord. But what is interesting, even though King Ahab was in disguise, that it says that a random archer pulled back his bow and let an arrow through and it found a chink in King Ahab's armor and wounded him fatally and he died. And the prophecy of the word of the Lord was actually fulfilled. But I wonder how many of us have made decisions based on our own will or actually we have not sought the Lord for counsel because we're afraid of what God is going to say to us and we actually don't want to do what God is saying. And if we continue in that path, I want to help us this morning. Because I want to start out 2023, not just with 21 days of prayer and fasting. 
I want it to get in our spirit that we actually retrain our brains on how we make decisions that instead of just by default, we go by what looks good to us, what we feel is the right way. And there's lots of reasons we make bad decisions, right? For many of us, we get inspired. We, we see a good movie. We watch a good reel. We see a, see a quote on Instagram. We could be in a service and get inspired. And, and, and our feelings kind of lead us to make a decision. But it's not the word of the Lord. For some of us, we live life reactively. In other words, we don't live life with purpose and intention. We, we take life as it comes at us and we make decisions and choices based on what's happening to us. And if you live that way, life has a way of just pushing you around and shoving you around and hurting you, wounding you. And, and people will try to tell you what to do and what decisions to make in your life. And this world, by the way, and culture will push you into making decisions based on the world's ideas and the world's way of living and doing things. And we have to actually do what the Bible says in Romans 12 too, and says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can test and approve what is God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. And for many of us, we're starting out the new year, and maybe there's some big decisions in front of you. Some of you are praying, praying about uh, business decisions. You're praying about your career path. Maybe you're praying uh, about opportunities. Maybe you're thinking about moving. Maybe you're thinking about selling your house. Maybe you're thinking about um, potentially uh, divorce. Maybe you're thinking about, I, I, I need to do something about my marriage. Maybe you're thinking about, do I go to a counselor? Do I, do I see a pastor? What do I do? How do I change? Maybe you're struggling internally with a habitual sin or, or an addiction, and, and you're wondering if I come clean with this or tell somebody, what is that going to do? Or maybe I could just handle this privately in my own life. Some of you are thinking about, should I marry this person? Should I date this person? Should I go away to college? Should I pursue this? And I remember being a young person isn't easy. And I remember being in college and there's so many options. There's so many different directions I could have gone with my life. And big decisions, decisions that are going to affect and shape, you know, the, the path of, of my life and decisions who you're going to marry and what you're going to do with your life and all these things. And I remembered that um, because those decisions were so big and I was such a, I was a new believer in Christ. I, I memorized Proverbs 14, 12, which says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And I memorized that scripture and I've never forgot it because it reminds me that in life there are things that are going to look good to you. Right now there's decisions in front of some of us and it looks like this is the right way to go. You know, we do our T-charts, we do the positives, the negatives, and, and, and we, we try to weigh all these things. But how many decisions are we making apart from seeking first the counsel of the Lord? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have to be under the conviction that I've been under, and I've tried to live most of my life, and I've, I've, I've done it fairly well, haven't always done it perfect, but my wife and I have just always lived under this conviction that whenever we had a decision to make, that we had to first seek the counsel of the Lord. Like, I've got my own will, I've got my own ideas of what I want to do with my life, what I think about my life, but if, you're, if you gave your life to Jesus, your life is not your own. It's not about us anymore. We don't get to choose I hate to break the news to you. I know there's a lot of pop Christianity that would say, hey, follow the dream of your heart and God will just make your life wonderful and all that. 
They ain't going to get that here. Sorry. I'm going to give you the truth. And the truth is this. Our life is not our own. We've been bought with a high price. The precious blood of Jesus. And so if we're a follower of Jesus, we've surrendered our life to him that when we seek God's will, God's purpose, when we seek first the counsel of the Lord and we want to know his heart and we get his heart and his direction, that he's going to lead us into the plan and purpose that he has for our life. And let me tell you, there is no greater fulfillment in this life than following the perfect will, plan, and purpose that God has for your life and for my life. I mean, seriously, there's, in his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. Like, I was thinking about that, how much the world is trying to steal our young people away may, uh, with this idea and this lie from the enemy that if you surrender and give your life to God, you know, look how he's going to send you to some tribe in Africa and your life's going to be miserable and blah, 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 blah. And the reality is this, that when you live sold out to Jesus, there is no better freedom, no greater peace, no greater joy, no greater love, no greater fulfillment than being and living sold out for God. And I hope to lead a church that lives that way, worships that way, prays that way, that we are living sold out to Jesus. But for many of us, if we're going to live that way, we got to relearn the way we do things. In fact, um, I, was, I was reading about this story about this man. He was a doctor. In fact, he's an otolaryngologist. <laughs> laryngologist. Say that three times fast. He's an otolaryngologist. What that means is he, he, he studies the voice and you know, the larynx and all that stuff. Anyway, I won't bore you with all the details. But this man named um, Dr. Alfred Tomatis. You say tomato, I say tomatis. So Dr. Tomato, um, he, he for, had a 50-year practice of, of helping people with audiology challenges and stuff like that. There was this famous opera singer who had all of a sudden lost the ability to hit certain high notes. And if you're a famous opera singer, that's a problem. And so he had been to different eye, ears, nose, throat people, and all of them told him this is a vocal problem. You, there's something wrong with your, your vocal cords. Your no, your, that's why you're not hitting these notes. Well, Dr. Alfred Tomatis was a brilliant doctor, and he actually thought differently. And what he recognized was this, that the other doctors didn't. Through a sonometer, which... Um, it, it, it is a, a meter to gauge decibels. He realized that the average opera singer, when they hit certain high notes, they get average around 140 decibels. That's actually a little bit louder than a uh, fighter jet taking off from an aircraft carrier. It's even louder if you're singing that and that is in your head. <laughs> So what, what he determined was he didn't have a vocal problem. He actually had a hearing problem. That because of over the years of hitting such high notes, he actually, the sound of his own voice made him deaf. And when you're a singer, if you can't hear the note, you can't sing the note. And Dr. Uh, Alfred Tomatis has this quote that I like. He said this. He said, the voice can only reproduce what the ear can hear. Let me put that to you in spiritual terms. Your life can only reproduce what you hear from the Lord. Jesus himself said that my words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And yet for many of us, 
we're missing out on life because we're missing out on his word. And I'll tell you this, if you become spiritually deaf to the, to the word of the Lord, your life is going to miss out on the greatest things that God has planned for you in this life. And yet for many of us, we have been so accustomed to listening to our own voice, the voice of the flesh. We've become so accustomed to listening to the voice of the world that the voice of the Lord gets drowned out and becomes white noise in the mix of all the noise that's in our world today. Through social media, through Netflix, through the 21st busy culture that we live in, I believe that the, the greatest weapon that the enemy uses against the people of God is he keeps us so busy, so tone deaf to the very voice of God that we miss out on the counsel of the word of the Lord. And I'm telling you, the word of the Lord will save your life. The word of the Lord will give you direction for your life. The word of the Lord will give you wisdom in a moment that you need it. The word of the Lord will give you direction. There's somebody, I'm telling you, you've been praying for things that if you will just seek first the counsel of the Lord, God will speak to you. He'll speak to your spirit. Now, some of you are looking at me like, man, well, that's great for you. You're a pastor. You hear from God. I don't, I don't hear God. Can I tell you something? That is a lie from the pit of hell. If you are here and you're a born-again believer this morning, that means your spirit has been reborn because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Through his atonement of his precious blood, you have been redeemed, you have been forgiven, you have been set free, and you've been cleansed from every sin that has plagued you. Forgiven. As far as the east is from the west. That gives God the ability to put his Holy Spirit inside of you. And because the spirit of the living God is inside of you, you have direct connection to hear from the Spirit of God and hear the voice of the Lord. So if you're a born-again believer this morning, and I hope all of you are, and if you're not, guess what? You're going to have an opportunity to do that at the end of this service. But if you are, let me tell you, you have the ability to hear the voice of God. Now, is, is, do I hear, a, is it an audible voice? Do I hear, Lance, this is the voice of God. No, it's not like that. Usually, like in my whole life, I've never heard the actual audible voice of God. But I love this picture of the voice of God um, in Elijah, in Kings, when he's on the mountain and, and there's this earthquake and there's a wind and there's a fire and it says God isn't in the earthquake. He's not in the wind. He's not in the fire. It says, and then it came a gentle whisper. And Elijah heard the whisper. And I think this is, this is, this is for us the challenge because the world screams in our ear but the Holy Spirit whispers to our soul. I was reminded of uh, the story of uh, a young man. There was um, a group of guys back in the Midwest, and this is going back to the 1800s before they had electricity. And what they'd do is, is to keep meat and stuff preserved. They would have um, big ice blocks, and they'd put them in these chests to keep stuff cold and preserved. And there was these guys who were working, moving some, some of these big ice blocks, and, and they would put hay on it to act as like insulation. And they're moving all this stuff, and there was one of the workers who had a watch that had been given to him and passed down from generation. Uh, the, the, his father gave it to him, and it was his grandfather's watch, and it was very valuable to him. And during their work, he had, the watch had come off his wrist and fell on the ground. They searched for hours trying to find this watch, couldn't find it. They come out of this barn and they're, they're just talking and there's this young ranch hand there overhearing their conversation. So, what, you know, what's wrong? It's why I lost my watch. And he's like, well, let me try to find it. And we're like, go ahead. And so he goes into the barn 
And he comes out five minutes later with the watch. And they're astonished. They're like, we looked all over. How did you find it? He's like, it was simple. I just put my ear to the ground and got real quiet. And I could hear the tick, tick, tick until I found it, got close enough and found it. And, and I share that with you because I believe that for many of us, if we would just take the time out of our busy schedules and our busy lives and remove ourselves from the crowd and put our face to the ground and tune in to the still small voice of the Lord, that we would be amazed at the things that you'd be able to hear. And God would give you um, instructions and wisdom. James says, if any of you needs wisdom, ask the Lord. He gives generously and abundantly. But yet many of us, we have decisions and we never seek the counsel of the Lord. We never ask for wisdom from him. And so I want to encourage us today. And I got, I got a few things that I think will help in that. And I'm going to go through them rather quickly for the sake of time. But um, the first one is this, that we seek when we um, seek God in prayer. I'm sorry, that's not the right one. I'm, I'm all messed up. Sorry to you guys up there. Um, here's the first point. The world lives by sight. God's people live by revelation. I'll say that again. The world lives by sight. God's people live by revelation. Now, everything in the world is what I see. It's what I feel. That's how the world makes decisions. But we as the people of God, we don't make decisions that way. We don't live that way. We live by revelation. And I'm reminded of, of the scripture in uh, Proverbs 28, 29, 18. It says this, where there is no vision, no revelation of God and his word. I'm, I'm reading the amplified version. The people are unrestrained, but happy and blessed is he who keeps the law of God. Now, for many of us, this is, this is a problem in our life. I want to unpack this just for a minute because we as the people of God, we don't just live by sight. We live by the very revelation of God. And you don't get the revelation of God. A revelation means an unveiling. It's something that you can't see or is hidden with the naked eye, but that gets revealed to us. There are certain things that only get revealed by seeking the face of God. When you seek his face, you hear the words of his mouth. And for some of us, our problem is that we're just not seeking God's face. But, but let me break this down for you because I think this is important to... to um, the word unrestrained there, where there is no revelation, the people go unstrained. We, you can wonder, there, in the King James, it says people perish. Let me break down what that word means. It means actually to act as a leader, to let the reins loose or to let go unbridled. So think about this for a second. There is a revelation that God has for you and for your life, but if we don't submit to him, when we don't see or get that revelation that God has, we act as our own leader. This is going back to the original sin in the garden where Adam and Eve, they ate off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember, uh, the enemy said to them, he said, uh, don't you know that if you eat off the tree of the knowledge and evil, that you will be, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. How did the devil appeal to them? He appealed to them to be their own leader of their own life. And the devil will continue to appeal to you to make decisions. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end, it leads to death. Unrestrained, to act as a leader, to let the reins loose. 
So in other words, it's, I'm taking the bridle out of my mouth that, that God's word acts like guardrails to keep me on track in the path that he has for my life. But when I don't get the revelation, when I don't seek the counsel of the word of the Lord, I'm just living life however I want. And this is what's getting a lot of us in trouble. We're acting as our own leader instead of submitting to God's ways. The second part of that, it says, blessed, happy is he who follows the law. Now you think, oh man, okay, so I'm gonna be happy if I do everything that's in the law and I'm following all God's commands. That's not exactly what that word means. That word law actually means instruction or direction. So put this together now. Where there is no revelation of the word of God to you and to your life, you start to act like the leader of your own life, which actually leads you to perish. It leads you to make bad decisions with your life. But you'll be happy and blessed if you follow God's direction and instruction. How many of you are ready to this morning to follow God's instruction and direction? I love what C.S. Lewis says. He has this quote. He says, there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. What kind of people do you want to be? Do you want to be the person that says, thy will be done? Or do you want to be the person that says, no, I want it my way, like King Ahab. He said, I want it my way. And God says, okay, if you're going to insist on your way, I tried to warn you with the word of the Lord, but you rejected my word. And because you rejected my word, I take my hand of protection and blessing off you and say, have it your way. I wonder how many of us have made bad decisions in our lives and have regrets from things in the past because we didn't seek first the counsel of the Lord and we did it our way, thank you Frank Sinatra, and God said, fine, you want it your way? Have it your way, but you get to deal with the consequences. I wanna help us this morning not find ourselves in a place where we're living with regret. The world lives by sight, the people of God live by revelation. Prayer discovers the plan of God. Prayer discovers the plan of God. Listen, there, there, there's, only, there's only certain ways that you find the heart of God, that you seek God in prayer, is one of the ways that we discover the plan of God for our life. It was interesting, while we were in Israel, um, we had the, the privilege to go to the Mount of Olives. And if you are familiar with the Bible, um, Jesus would often retreat. In fact, there's m several scriptures that talk about how the, the disciples were trying to find Jesus. They couldn't find him. And every time, but actually, over time, they knew exactly where to find him. In fact, so much so that when Judas brought the Roman soldiers, he knew exactly where Jesus would be. He would be in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is right down at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And... Um, and over Jesus, over time, it became a part of his habit that he would remove himself from the crowds. Even when the crowds were pressing on him, even when people were saying, no, Jesus, this way, you need to go here and you need to heal them and you need to launch your ministry. Jesus was always removing himself and seeking God in prayer first and getting the word of the Lord and getting his heart connected to the heart of God so that he could do his ministry. Jesus said, I do what I hear the Father saying and what I see him doing. That's it. 
I only do what I see him doing and what I hear him doing. Where did he find that? He found it in the secret place. Look at, remember what Micaiah the prophet said uh, when, when the guy slaps him and, and he says, you know, prophesy or tell me, you know, which direction did I slap you? And Micaiah says something pretty profound. He says, when you go in the inner room, then you'll find out. Can I tell you something? You want to know what the Spirit of God is saying? Go in the inner room and you'll find out. Too many of us, we never go to the inner room. We never get to the upper room. We never get to the place of prayer where God's spirit speaks to your spirit. Jesus, when he had to choose the disciples, he made the decision after he went to the Mount of Olives and he, he prayed all night and he sought the word of the Lord. All the things that Jesus did, he was led by the spirit of God because he was connected to the heart of God. And you don't get that from throwing up a five minute prayer and doing a Devo in the morning. You actually get it when you commit yourself to seek the Lord in prayer. When you seek his face, you'll hear the words from his mouth. The second thing is this, the word of God gives us divine direction. Too many, too many of us were wondering, hey, what's the will of God for my life? Dude, the will of God is right here in the Word of God. God has given us everything that we need in the Bible plus His Holy Spirit. So, you know, there's two types of words that the Bible talks about. The Logos, which is the written Word of God, is the Bible, and the Rhema Word. The combination of the two things, we have everything that we need to follow God and for him to give us divine direction and purpose and his plan in our life. In fact, um, some of us, if you're here and you're struggling with the Bible, let me tell you, um, I, was, I got to be in Qumran where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And after experiencing everything that um, we experienced in Israel, seeing the archeology, span uh, knowing the history, um, being in places where, you know, centuries of digging and finding the places that we read about in the Bible, getting to stand there, um, just amazing, blew me away, but probably one of the most significant times for me. And if you're struggling with, you know, I don't know if the Bible's real. I don't know if I could trust its accuracy. Um, is all of it real? You know, all this. Let me tell you something. God proves his word to be true. When we were in Qumran, that's the place where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. If you're not familiar with that, um, years ago they found these ancient scrolls where God put it in the heart of this certain tribe in Israel to transcribe the Bible onto these scrolls, to roll up the scrolls and to put them and hide them in these caves. Now the, the place, this is, this is the coolest part. Not, not that it wasn't cool that he put it on the hearts of these people to transcribe the Bible and put them in these caves, but even cooler than that is this, that the actual place on the earth that they put the Dead Sea Scrolls in the caves, this place Qumran, is right next to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth. It sits almost 1,500 feet below sea level. Now that, that might not seem significant to you, but let me tell you the significance. The significance is this, the further you go below sea level, the less the impact of the radiation of the sun has on a place which impacts how something deteriorates over time. Not only that, the aridness and dryness of the desert where the scrolls were put into the caves was the actual perfect place to preserve these scrolls. So can I tell you, out of any place in the whole world that God 
picked the perfect place in the whole earth to have those scrolls put in those caves that eventually would be found that proves with 99.8% accuracy the Bible to be true. I, let me tell you, after seeing it for myself, the archaeology, knowing the history, if you took all the evidence and put it in a court of law, I don't know how any judge could, could not rule that the Bible is 100% true and real. Just amazing. But I digress. Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light on my path. Some of us, we're in, we're in darkness about our future. We got decisions ahead of us. Things are going to come at you during this year, and you're going to be confused. Which way do I go? What decision do I make? I don't know what choice to make. I don't know how to move forward. If you seek God and his word, the promise is not that he is going to show you the whole thing, how it's going to play out, but here's the promise. It's going to be a light to your feet. He's going to show you where you are, and that's the first step to change. You got to recognize where I am. But he's not only going to show you where you are, he's going to light up the path in front of you. He's not going to show you the whole thing, but he'll show you the first step. And I'm telling some of you today, in fact, when I was praying this morning, God told me, some of you, the reason why you haven't heard God speak to you in a long time is because the last time he spoke to you, you haven't stepped out in faith and obeyed what he told you to do. And if you will go back and step out in faith with the word of the Lord that he gave to you the last time, then he will give you the next step. But he can't give you the next step until you obey and take a step of faith in the first place. And some of us need to just step out in faith and obedience to the word that God is speaking to us. Uh, remember when God was reminding Joshua when he was about to go into the promised land, he didn't know what he was doing. He said this, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall do what? Read it casually, flip it, listen to it for five minutes as you go run out the door with your coffee in the morning. No, take time to actually sit and meditate on it. Stew on it, read it, meditate on it, chew on it. Let it get down in your spirit. Let it become a part of who you are. Let, let the Spirit of God make the Word come alive to you and give you direction. He says, when you meditate on it day and night, here's the promise. He says, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Does he say, I will make your way prosperous? He says, no. He said, the ball's in your court. He want, you want your way to be prosperous? You want your way to be successful? Meditate on the Word, man. Follow my word, read my word, study my word, memorize my word, speak my word, live my word. Third one is this, be attuned, I'm almost done, be attuned to the Holy Spirit. That word attuned means that you're in step, you're, you're on the same tune, like you're on the same tone, like you're not speaking or hearing something different than God is. How do you get attuned to the Spirit of God? You seek the face of God. You find it in the place of prayer. It's amazing to me how if I seek God in the morning and I get my heart aligned with his heart, that all of a sudden the rest of my day, like I'm just more in step with the Holy Spirit. I'm more in tune with what God is doing, what he's saying. There's been times where God has spoken to me in a moment, say this to, to this person, give money to this person. I've got a word for this person, that, that person. I'll be just doing something and I'll feel the Spirit of God say, you need to call this person. You need to text this person. 
There's been so many times where if I hadn't obeyed the leading and prompting of the Holy Spirit, and if I actually have, wasn't in tune with the Spirit of God, I might have missed out on a God moment. I'll never forget one moment I was preaching here and God put a, a vision on my heart. He gave me this vision of this young girl. She was sitting on, on the porch and she was, she was young and she was crying and, and didn't know what to do. And I saw that Jesus came and sat down on the porch next to her and put his arm around her. And then he put his hand out and she put, she looked at him. He wiped her tears away. She, she put her hand in his hand and they began to walk together and then, then they began to run together. And I didn't know if that was bad pizza or what, but I, I was faithful just to just what I was hearing from the Holy Spirit. And I gave that, I had this young girl come up to me in tears after the service. She said, that little girl was me. And she said, I've been praying whether I should go to college. I have a, a scholarship offer to run track. <laughs> and I feel like, that word that you gave confirmed to my heart and I have peace about it, I'm supposed to do it. And that's what I mean in Acts 8, 29, there's so many stories. When Philip was, was walking and, and the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside that carriage. And it was the Ethiopian eunuch and, and the Ethiopian eunuch just happened to be reading the book of Isaiah and he didn't understand it. And that eunuch said, hey, I mean, Philip said, hey, you want help with that? And he said, yeah, I've been reading this and I don't get it. And he sat in the chariot with me, unpacks it, and he ends up getting saved and getting baptized right there. Why? Because he was in tune with the Holy Spirit. The last thing, and we're, we'll wrap this baby up, is you need to confirm the word. I mean, honestly, the bad pizza thing, that's, that's no joke. There's some times where I've, I've missed it. I thought I heard the word of the Lord, but it wasn't. And we have to be careful, right? Just like those prophets. We can hear things we want to hear and, and we move forward on those things. And, and so I don't want you to be fearful. It's okay. God is grace. In fact, that's another thing I heard in prayer that some of you, you might leave here lamenting some of your poor decisions. But God told me there's nothing I can't redeem. There's nothing my grace can't touch and change. And you can't go back and change the past, but he can change your future. When you make a decision today, just seek first the counsel of the Lord. But how do we confirm? We should confirm. In fact, I love throughout the Bible, there's so many examples of, of, of the people of God asking God to confirm his word. That, that's, a, that's a healthy thing. We should, we should want the word confirmed. We wanna know this is the word of the Lord. I remember my wife and I, when we had a big decision, we were praying to move to Montana. And that was completely not on my radar, not a part of my plans. Prayed for three months. We took some time to seek God and to pray. We asked other people to pray and some people gave us prophetic words and that God uses the prophetic in that way. But the Bible also says, test the words that the prophetic gives. Like it's your responsibility to put those prophetic words before the Lord and test them to make sure they're from God because not all of them are. A lot of them are, and I'm grateful for just some amazing people that are gifted prophetically in this church. And they've made a difference in my life. But prayed for three months, and I was in a worship service just like this, and I felt the Spirit of God said, you're supposed to go. But I didn't leave it there. I went to my pastor and said, this is what I feel like God is doing. And he said, you know what? I witnessed to that. I felt it, but I didn't want to influence you, but I witnessed to that. 
So there's three things that got for you real quick to confirm the word of the Lord. Number one is it needs to be in alignment with the word of God. It's got to align with the word of God. If it doesn't align with the word of God, I would question, is this a word of the Lord? Number two, seek godly counsel to confirm the word. You know how many times I've sat in my office and hear somebody's story of regret, they're crying, made a bad decision. I say, hey, did you get any counsel? Did you run this by anybody? Seek a pastor, a leader? No. Man, I wish I had. Don't be that person. The last thing is this. When it's the word of the Lord, you'll have an inner peace. There's a peace. You just, in your spirit, you know, and you got a, a peace inside. If you're confused, if you're conflicted, I would question if that's the word of the Lord. But if you got a peace that surpasses all understanding, and let me tell you, sometimes the word of the Lord doesn't make sense. Sometimes the word of the Lord isn't logical, but it is theological. In other words, it goes along with the character, the heart, and the power of God. God can do anything. He can move mountains. And sometimes we limit the word of the Lord and we dismiss the word of the Lord because, man, that sounds too radical, too crazy. I don't see how that's going to happen. Well, that's not your job. Your job is just to say, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. And I'm willing to go where you say go, do what you say to do. I'm your vessel. I'm the pen in your hand. You write the poem. I'm yielded to you. I want to end our service just by praying. I want to pray for two different groups of people. Number one, I want to pray for those of us, maybe you're here today and you realize, man, I, I, I'm kind of seeking Christianity. I'm kind of seeking God, but I'm not a Christian. But today I realize I made a lot of bad decisions for my life and, and I need to change that. I don't know how. Let me tell you, friend, the beginning of it, is to surrender. It's to say, God, you know better than me. I'm tired of trying to live life with what's right in my own eyes. I don't wanna live that way anymore. I wanna surrender to you. I wanna yield my life to you and let you direct and guide my steps. If that's you, just slip your hand up. Just say, Pastor Lance, I, I, God bless you, I see you. Best decision, God bless you. Anyone else? You're just tired. Tired to try to figure out life on your own. Today's your day. We prayed before service that today would be the day of salvation for some of you. I want to encourage you if you slipped your hand up. We have a prayer team over here. After service, I want you to go right to that prayer banner. I want you to tell somebody, I, I, I put my hand up. I want to receive Jesus. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. Somebody will lead you in a prayer of salvation. We'll get you connected with the Bible, get you connected to the church to come alongside you, help you. For the rest of us, here's what I believe we're supposed to do right now in this moment. If you're like me, you, hearing this message, you're probably convicted that I haven't really sought the counsel of the Lord first, that I, I kind of been living a little bit on autopilot. I've been making decisions out of habit more than the Holy Spirit. And I believe the beginning to change is to number one, recognize it. Number two, repent of it. So I want to lead you in a prayer, if, if you want to, of repentance to say, God, forgive me for not seeking you first and your word for my life. Can we do that? And then the worship team is going to kind of lead us in the last song. I know it's late. If you have to go, you can go. 
This is a big deal. Just put your hand on your heart. Father, repeat this after me. Father, forgive me for making decisions apart from you. Today, I surrender my life. I surrender my will to you. I ask you for to forgive me, to wash me clean, and to renew a right spirit within me, a spirit that is in tune with you and willing to go where you go, say what you say, do what you want me to do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.